the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 274 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Yo, what's up? It's the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you'd find over at MMA Junkie as well as OddsCheckerUS.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's before the fight. Recording this Friday morning, Las Vegas time, before the weigh-in. So let's hope that uh, you know we don't jinx anything and the fighters that we're betting on make weight and look good on the scale. Because uh, fighters have been uh, losing more than they've been winning when they miss weight. So, you know, we'll tempt fate there, um, as we tend to do with this show. Uh, check the timestamps in the show notes, whether you're on uh, Apple Podcasts. Thanks for the five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, or on YouTube, Daniel Tom MMA. Thanks for the subscriptions, though I don't deserve it. But yeah, show notes in all those places or wherever else you're listening to this thing here at. MixedMartialAnalyst.com, of course. It supports this here program. Smartphone-friendly players and... Click-throughs and all that sorts and all that shit. Um, but yeah, check the show notes for when the breakdown starts. We start from top to bottom, and then, of course, I always recap my picks and plays from top to bottom. In that order, going to be a uh, quick touch on Bellator 280's main event, quick recap on UFC Vegas 53, and some shouts, and that'll be it. We'll see how, I don't want to say fast, because that's the wrong word to use with this program, myself speaking, right? But yeah, we'll see. We'll see how, how, how fast we can crank through it, so to speak. Um, hope you guys are all doing well. Uh, just get some shouts out of the way. want to thank you guys all for wishing my boy Benji, my, my dog, my best friend of over a decade well. Uh, found some more troubling lumps and going through that whole process, which is common for dogs. It is the inevitable, especially with a boxer breed, half boxer, half pit. But these are troubling ones, and thankfully was able to speed it up and get them in on Wednesday. Apologies, I tend to kind of be diarrhea of the mouth and wear my emotions on my sleeves and uh, too honest for my own good and all those things you could say is true, mainly for worse than for better. Um, but, you know, you guys are the motherfuckers who are just the nicest who keep me going. You're, you're why I do this. Um, the most support I get is, is from you people on the interwebs. And, uh, yeah, man, um, that's why I, I keep you guys updated. That's why I, I'm so honest with you. That's why... Uh, also why I'm, uh, you know, fucking more close with the dog slash dogs than with, with people because, you know, I haven't had the best history with people. Um, you know, uh, I'm guilty there myself too, but yeah, not the best luck. So when you have a man's best friend like this, uh, you know, hit extra deep because, you know, been through a lot of shit with this dog and uh, I will be a mess when the inevitable comes. I'm just hoping that the inevitable, you know, doesn't come quite so soon. Just got some more work done in the FJ, and that thing's about ready to get out. And I bring that up because that is apropos to my dog, because that side project of outdoors is tied to my dogs and getting out with them and getting away from this technology and this MMA that's just nonstop inundation, you know? 
Uh, so it would be a pity so close to the finish line from you know for that to happen and uh, but you know weeks like this man I'm gonna push through here folks don't worry but yeah weeks like this is a real it's a tough reminder for your boy like why the you know, outside of you guys of course but it's just like you know even you guys who deserve it and to the others who try to you know coattail off my work or or whatever numbers or come at me with shitty offers or from a business perspective or posed to be my friends and other perspectives it's just um yeah man you know uh, after losing a bunch of friends relationships and god forbid uh i lose my dog for i i can fully uh do this pattern i've been working to break away from for so long as far as getting healthy and giving people the appropriate times uh it just would be a sorry i'm talking in circles but it just be a damn shame because uh yeah, man, I just, yeah, you know, you know, not that I need this reminder, and hopefully you guys don't either, but it's a healthy reminder, right, that, you know, what, what matters most, most, you know, whatever family and friends you do have and you are, are lucky enough to have, and uh, I don't need that reminder, but this week definitely was a reminder of that, and then on the other side you get like, you know, which is nothing new, it's whatever, it's fine, um, I'll last longer than these fucking companies that are, you know, giving me these shitty offers, which is the funny thing. My numbers ain't fucking good enough, but motherfucker, I'll be here longer than you, and I know I'm not doing this for fame or popularity. I never claim to be the best or any of that bullshit, but goddamn it, I'm fucking good at what I do, people, and I really hate motherfuckers that make me feel that I'm not. Remind me that I'm not through superficial numbers, which you guys know how much I love numbers. Whether it's the bullshit stats or the bullshit arguments of title defenses or undefeated records. You know, justifying things like pound for pound or legacy. They have nothing to do with it, by the way. So, yeah, I had some more numbers, but in a different arena than I usually complain about thrown in my face this week. So, uh, no advertisers yet again on this show, let's just say. But it's okay, because, again, seven years going on eight, just officially in public, mind you. Not including, you know, since 90-fucking-two, 30 years of doing martial arts, giving my health and my time to the fucking game, but yeah, seven, eight years in the media, so, I, um, it's just a lot of, uh, and then a lot of people have done it more, I'm not fucking saying it like that's some kind of thing, but I've, I've busted my ass, I don't cut corners for prep like many people do, you know, I show my work, I do the work, and, uh, and yeah, it's fucking insulting. When I do the work and sacrifice all the time at the expense of my loved ones. Could be dying next to me. And these motherfuckers come at me with shit offers and, you know, other motherfuckers disrespect me in many other ways. And, uh, not about that, man. I'm fucking knowing my value, let's just say that. I'm gonna keep my head down, I'm gonna keep working. Because I know I can be volatile too, and even if you're right, it doesn't mean you need to say things and burn fucking bridges, Dan, but goddamn. I know what the fuck I bring, and I know what the fucking snakes in the grass look like. So, we're going to move forward, and I'm going to keep this shit unfettered. Because it's my show, and uh, there ain't no show like it, for better or worse, mainly worse. But at least you know I'm being real with you guys. At least you know I'm being honest. I'm not fucking trying to sell you something. I'm not trying to fucking sell my image for likes and follows. I'm not trying to sell a fucking, you know, and nothing wrong with, you know. You want to fucking make yourself crazy with that business, and... Sell the picks. It's a tough business, man. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do any of that here. No. Nope. We're keeping it real. We're keeping it honest. We're keeping it transparent. 
So without further ado, eight minutes in, let's get to it. Um, oh yeah, and I also wanted to thank uh, my guy uh, Clint at the Heart MMA for having me on his show at Pub Sports Radio, a little council of the dance. With uh, I did a show with Danny Legs, and then of course, hey, my old co-host there, uh, back at the line movement days, um, Dan Levy at Best Fight Picks. That was a fun time. Uh, thank you guys for checking that out. Any new followers from there? And if I didn't turn you off with a serious intro, don't worry. We're gonna push forward. Um, but yeah, um, thank you. UC Vegas fifty three recap. 5-5 five and five of overall, 0-1 oh in parlay par pieces, 2-2 two and two straight, 3-2 and two in props. Uh, you hit the, by the way, you hit the round-robin prop I, I, in a night that was not a bloodbath. I mean, we, we technically broke even, but, you know, that's bad for me, folks. I'm not going to lie. Bad night here. Uh, at least, you know, you motherfuckers play the round-robins, man. You guys keep cashing. How many how many weeks this year have I given cashing round-robins? How many should have cashed or cashed out in full parlays, you know? Lest we not bring up some certain decisions that should have went our way. But you know what I mean. Um, and then 0-5 in round flyers. Most of those were uh, Cheeto Vera round flyers, which we'll, we'll get to. But, um, but yeah, uh, Marlon Vera defeated Rob Font. Um, you know, this fight went fairly as expected except minus the no finish. Because it was apparent that Vera was disinterested in it. And it wasn't me being sore for betting it. People who didn't bet... Vera didn't pick Vera. Um, we're even frustrated with Vera, and making it a, make you know making the point that what's 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 going on here. And it was a good performance. He deserved to win. Um, clearly, I don't I don't know. Boy, stats bros were in shambles. Uh, another great example, and, and you know as pointed out by many, true. But again, wow. What? Wait a minute. What? People are late to catch on to a point that you've been stressing about and pointing out actual relevant fucking examples because you show your work, Dan, for how many fucking years a month? Yeah, yeah. So this shouldn't be anything new to listeners of this podcast, that stats don't fucking matter and they're not accurate. And you, just like most comparisons, literally 99% of them, you can't compare and try to bring models or other comparisons or stat models, or betting models from other sports to mixed martial arts, because it's a combat sport, and it's volatile because it's a combat sport, and it's the most volatile of the combat sports. <sighs> but anyways, I'm, you know, instead of saying that for the hundredth time, here's another hundredth example of that. Marlon Vera defeated Bob Font. Uh, again, the more damaging strikes, more impactful. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, no blaming on the ref, no blaming on the uh, corners, like the, you know, St. Denis and the uh, Moicanos, which wasn't as bad as that one, but still in that neighborhood. Uh, you know, this is another one added to the list as far as this, but for a different reason, of course. Just the fighter himself. So that's kind of, you know, my sour grapes for the bet, of course, aside. That's still something that we should mark down and note for the future as far as Vera goes. I mean, you know, he, he's an unheralded five-round fighter, which is why a lot of us put our faith in him and were rewarded if we took the money line. Thank God I did. Um, but, um, you know, for a guy that, you know, you can't, you know, you, you fear to let him back into a fight, just what he would do with five rounds, well, he'll actually return the favor in some cases and let you back into the fight in return. So, you know, he won't get tired, he won't, you know, do this or that, and he'll still, you know, be kicking ass, and I, we were all right on those predictions, technically, in a way, sure, 
from a perspective, but he went ahead and let returns the favor and lets the other guy back in the door, you know? Uh, meaningfully back in the door? Not in this case, no. I had no issues four to one Vera scores because he, he, he heard him. Um, and, you know, he visibly clearly heard him in four of the rounds. Again, folks, big shots. Oh, he's rocked. That's what rocked looks like. It's not, oh, I heard a loud noise and Rogan said they're rocked, so that person must be rocked. No, folks. It's it's this fight. That's the example. That stumbling around on skates when the edibles hit. Shouts to my guy at True UK fan. You know those are he's rocked moments, folks. Everything else is very subjective before that, um, and we need to keep that in mind and acknowledge that. Um, this next fight, I'm too biased to weigh in on. Andre Arlovski defeated Jake Collier, uh, but I I was saying again, this is why I recuse myself, or if that's the proper word, I apologize. It's uh, getting delirious Danton right now. I haven't really slept much this week at all. Uh, but, um, again, I tweet out before these controversial decisions come out, and again, I don't tweet scores because um, a lot of the times I'm generally busy, or and it's not even like I'm, I'm drinking or this or that, but it's like I bet on these fights, and I'm one of the few media members and people just in general who state slash regularly state their bias, much less state their bias, right? And I see so many people that, you know, it's like, and, and I, I wouldn't want to call any cards, you know, shit on anybody's idea of a good time, but how many people are having drinks? You know, media members submitting MMA decisions while they're doing it. How many of them have bets on the fight they're not telling you about? And again, I'm not going to call anybody out, but even just roaming MMA decisions as I talk to you guys about, and we'll talk shit in the comments, the, the shit I see in the comments section. I saw one name who's, re I'll just say he's regularly on MMA decisions. Um, and uh, this person admitted that they, you know, someone called him out in the score and they were like, yeah, well, I was, uh, I believe they may have even, and I don't want to narrow it down further, but I, but, but I didn't even know this person is, is an on-site media, so for what that's worth, but like they admitted their own self, this media member who was submitting to MMA decision scores and doing it from cage shy, like not even from his own home, that he was it was on the night that there was like a Bellator event or a boxing event and they're like, well I was double screening on my phone and watching this event too, so it's like not only were you not doing your fucking job but you're submitting scores that other assholes are going to be in the comment sections of me and many doing screenshots of MMA decision scores going, look at what they scored. You're an idiot. You know? Um, again, just like people use the significant strike stats. They use bullshit stats that are so prone to human error. Time and time again, I give these examples. So prone to human error. And these are the basis for so many people's fucking arguments. So keep that in mind, folks, when you see MMA decisions. Keep that in mind. Um, but yes, what, well, so what do I do, do instead of, of, of uh, you know, breaking biases or however you want to frame it, what I just said? No, I'll bring up the more relevant points of scoring. Like, keep in mind, folks, a lot of these aren't landing um, very, uh, you know, as cleanly as they seem. And Arlovsky's doing a lot of body work and countering, right? That's what I said in the written's. Uh, in every place, that's what I said in my breakdowns. That's what I say in every Orlovsky breakdown. You know, and that's what I say with a lot of people who usually don't get the decisions, right? Where I would argue they should. Well, and this time maybe they do. Now, don't get me wrong. I haven't rewatched this. And even upon the first watch, even with my bias-ass eyes, um, I thought it was probably going to go to Collier 2-1. 
and I think it's very easy to make an argument for Collier 2-1. I don't think that's the crazy thing to say. The crazy thing to say, apparently, is that it wasn't a robbery because everybody seems to think it is. And... And again, I wonder how many of the people who are saying that bet Collier are they are they being honest? You know, people can accuse me of being biased again. I'm one of the only motherfuckers, especially in the media, folks, who actually stick to betting bias. So many people recap, talk, and lobby sh- even strong opinions, or s- even go too far to submit scorecards, and they don't disclose their biases. So, uh, and that's not all. Uh, there, there are media members who do it. You guys know who you are. I love y'all. Um, not coming at you guys, but you know what I'm saying. For the majority though, it's, it's the truth. It's not. So I'm not going to die on a hill and defend a fight that uh, I bet and benefited off of the decision, um, because I even said, you know, and, and and again another another thing like I said, you know, thank even said like wow, yeah, thank you Sal, and that wasn't to pile on to Sal, but you know a lot of the guys the guys from Couchside judges will defend the judges a lot and Sal Diamato in particular because he does get called out a lot and Scott and uh, Fontana and Dan Urban from from that podcast will make a good point at that. He gets the most credit, uh, shit, because he is one of the most used judges. So of course, by sheer sample size, he's going to be on more wrong decisions uh, than other judges. And who knows? He probably has more right decisions than any. Uh, he, I'm willing, gun to my head. I'm actually, uh, yes, I'm willing to wager Sal D'Amato has gotten it right more than he's gotten it wrong. But with the biases of those positions, we only complain. So you're only going to remember the wrong ones and not the right ones, right? That's kind of human nature, right? Um, and I will say, and it's nice to see, because even just upon researching this card, literally it feels like nine times out of ten, I'm whether I bet on the fight or not, I'm I've got like the opposite opinion of Sal D'Amato. So if anybody can jump on that bandwagon of shitting on Sal, it's me. But if you notice, even when I complain about the judges, I, I not only not Sal, I usually don't complain about names in particular, because I, I don't I don't feel like that's fair. And I feel like there's such bad, especially as I've further educated myself, there's such bad understanding all around um, that, to me, the good fight is more trying to educate the masses with these talking points, whether it's on my podcast that no one listens to or my tweets that sometimes can get shared and can get a, get a bigger audience because I have a bigger following on there. So that's what I'll try to add to the conversation. And that's why I've never... Um, jumped on the Sal bandwagon. So it was nice to finally, finally get a fucking decision from Sal to finally be on the right side of the fighter using body work encounters. Now, Collier did way better than I thought, straight up. Again, no issue if I would have lost this. That's not what I'm arguing here. No issue with the two-to-one Collier. Um, and again, I could see the, even how a fight, you know, someone got three rounds because they were close rounds ultimately that Orlovsky won um but you know again even in my and that's the dynamic we have to keep in mind that 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 is lively in a lot of matchups in my write-up I wrote for this one you know it was uh for the quick picks and prognostications for Junkie that this fight and again Collier blew my expectations away so granted credit too but I did say because of Collier's volume and the types of strikes that he throws the elbows the spinning stuff the big woo-woo stuff um, and he was landing a lot of stuff. He actually landed some good quality elbows. Um, were some of his best shots, by the way. But uh, because of that, the fight's going to look a lot closer than it is because it's going to be that versus the least credited strikes, body work, counters, you know, um, and, you know, and, and stuff like that. And Olavsky was slipping and rolling with a lot of the Collier shots. 
I said, don't be surprised, folks. And sure enough, that scorecard came out. So I'll just say that, it, you know, it wasn't a robbery and I would have had no fucking issue whatsoever if it went to Collier because that's where I thought it was going. For what that's worth. Joe Anderson Brito defeated Andre Feely. Smash my fucking parlay. Good thing I got those bonus legs, folks, to help make back on that. But, um, yeah, I mean, good on Joe Anderson Brito. Um, good on people who bet on him. I have some, some, some friends who cashed on that. So I'm not hating. But, again, this is the classic, you know, spot that just, I hate it. I hate it, man. Forget my bet aside. This is the classic matchup that shouldn't have happened. You know, it's only happened because the UFC is, is dicking around all their veterans and shit and treating, you know, treating them like crap, to be honest, for their contracts, making guys like, you know, Feely was going like into like a mental depression, even though he should be coming off of a win after that bullshit, you know, or, you know, not bullshit, unfortunate, you know, um, with the eye poke with Pineda, you know, um, that's not Pineda I wanted to end, obviously, but it was still, it was bullshit for Feely, right? And, you know, he was looking the best he ever looked coming out in that fight, finally gets to come back. They give him a fight that shouldn't be happening, right? Again, these fucking these fucking fights with these contender series people, like it shouldn't be happening. Um, and sometimes it's contender series and contender series, and maybe it's not that far. But like again, like Hobo Cop versus you know uh, what do you call it? the fucking Petrosian guy? Like you know what I'm saying? Like they are complete different levels of experience by coming off the contender series, and, and you know, and Hobo Cop should have been moving up, and then. Nope, they make a move down for, like, some hype striker. And at least, you know, Petrosian went to see three rounds of that. Or you got the Soriano. I know he was a contender series product, too. He's only, like, a season or two removed from fucking Maximoff. But, like, that bullshit decision should not have gone as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, and now, you know, and then like, when he, Soriano busts his knee on that, and he, he could have used that win bonus for, forget my bets, you know? Like, it's, just, it's like the universe, like, all the reasons... Like, this guy should get the win. Not even the, just the fact that the most important fact, they won the fucking fight, you know? Uh, but no, they lose it. Now, this one, obviously, Feely did not win the fucking fight. He got knocked the fuck out. Um, But it was just unfortunate because it was just a quick one where he caught him cold, you know? And, and it wasn't nothing wrong with the stoppage. I saw some people complaining about it. Like, I bet Feely, no issue with the stoppage here, folks. Again, I'm not going to be like fucking spilt milk, sour grapes to that extent, you know what I'm saying? Credit to Brito, but even if you're a Brito backer and happy for the Brito backers, but even if you're a Brito backer, it's like we didn't even get to see much from him. And it's like, like, oh, he's so improved. Like, is he really? What the fuck did we see? Like, I would have loved to see if he was improved. You know what I'm saying? Just as somebody who likes to be objective and have the information for betting somebody, you know. But again, that's not that's not the style, and that's not what was rewarded here. If you are like me and you were, you were betting experience over uh, opportunistic power, flash, and woo, well, you were wrong here, you know? And and not that Brito is going to be just that. He's got a lot of potential, but he just, you know, despite the result we saw on paper, he just, you know, he wasn't at the same level as Feely, but that doesn't matter in this game. That is the unfortunate part about bad matchmaking and the careless matchmaking we're seeing um, as far as that result. Uh Next matchup, Grant Dawson defeated Jared Gordon. Oh, speaking of contender series, just getting the fucking bounces. Uh, now, this one actually wasn't, you know, I was going to, this was going to, this bet was dead in the water without the finish. But just the fact that, you know, it was like insult to injury to see Jared Gordon, who's a good dude, just suffer his, you know, just brain fart, falter, drop the ball, 
And, uh, you know, again, he was going to lose anyways on the cards, at least, you know, on my cards. Um, again, I'm biased, but I'm not unrealistic here. He was going to lose anyways, folks. I'm just saying it was, oh, it was insult to injury to see, you know, Grant Dawson do the same thing. Again, be rewarded for a bad game plan. That's why I bet against him, because he was going to try to wrestle himself in a hole, despite only recently being at ATT, not long enough to really get the improvements. And I, you know... He won this fight and dug it out, and it's impressive. Don't get me wrong, but, like, what did he do that was different than any of his other fights? He wrestled himself in a hole. He looked, in fact, even more lost, arguably, on the feet, right? He didn't have crowd shouting commands and at least keeping a, a string for him to follow. He's having, again, adjusting period, folks. He's had, like I said, he's having to get used to new commands and whatnot. So, if anything, he actually looked worse on the feet. So that was kind of the annoying thing here. It wasn't that like he got like lucky like with the other ones like the Max or got a decision he shouldn't have got or anything. No, no, no. He was gonna he was gonna win this fight one way or another. It was just unfortunate that you know he just gets rewarded for you know kind of fighting bad. And even what's even more unfortunate is that unless it's a really good matchup, I'm gonna have to pump the brakes on on trying to fade uh, fade this kid. Even though again it wasn't like something personal. This is only like the second maybe third time I've picked against him. Or maybe only second time that I played him and third time that I picked against him. Because I picked Leo Santos um, as well. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'm going to have to punk the brakes on that. Because a lot of the reason why people were picking Gordon, which was for his, quote, ATT improvements. Well, you know what? Those things actually now they, could, now they are in play is the sad part. Now they could be a reality. And I want to give that respect to Dawson for the next time out unless again it's just a stylistic matchup where what you're really going to need is just a lights out wrestler who has who has the power to get the knockout on the feet um Gordon you know uh not that he didn't have it but didn't have enough of it and that clearly played out right so um you know don't regret taking the shot but it was a losing bet Darren Elkins was not a losing bet though defeated Tristan, Tristan Quinnally good Canadian boy there uh, but, you know, and again, uh, I had friends taking the shot on Connolly, Connolly not going to, you know, do the, I told you what people think, or do anything like that, but essentially, that's why I picked Elkins was, it was going to be a fight that Elkins traditionally thrives in, and Connolly doesn't have the stopping power or the game over level, game over, man, jujitsu. Um, so Elkins and Elkins by, uh, Elkins by decision cashed, even though the prop, uh, the parlay didn't. Um, playing that, uh, bolstering it with that prop leg for a three-quarter unit at plus uh, money. 135 in one house, 115 in another definitely helped. Christoph Yako defeated Gerald Mearshart. Um, yeah, man, was wrong here, but this was not uh, unforeseeable. Uh, I know plenty of people were taking the Christoph Yoko uh, victory lap and saying, how could anybody not see this coming? Or how could anybody think Gerald Mearshart was going to outgrapple Christoph Yako? Like... Christoph Yako is not like some specialty person, folks. Like, I know people were referencing his fight from like over five years ago against Talis Leches, who was never a good fighter off of his back, which was where the grappling exchanges took place against Christoph Yako, who was on his way up. While Talis Leches was not only on his way out, clearly at that point, he was overdue on borrowed time. Like, remember, people wrote off Talis Leches from like after his title fight on from Anderson Silva. He just kind of had that impromptu, like, resurgence against guys like Carmont who washed out and Tim Bosch who you know uh, was on his way out as well again this was it was like a circumstance built upon circumstance built upon circumstance for a jiu-jitsu guy who ultimately was never good off his back that was never latest his game 
So it was kind of weird for people like to go after, of course, the results are in to be like retrospective and go, how could anybody and like cite that as their car? But like, okay, like even me, like I, I was wrong, yeah, and like I took a shot on Mirshar, yeah, but like it wasn't, it wasn't because it was gonna dominate. It was he was it was either gonna force a slip up with Yako has done again. He's been submitted with guys like Magnus Sedenblad, which people conveniently left that part out when trying to stand uh, a Yako in and just trying to stand Yako in general, like what. Who's trying to stand Yako? Like if you bet, bet it, bet it by decision, good on you. Again, I bet him by decision too, but that doesn't mean I can't go back and look at those fights where I cashed on Yako too, folks. Like, y'all ain't the only ones. Like, I, I still can go back and criticize those fights. I did just last podcast. So I hope people continue not to criticize things and properly grade things so we do get a better... Uh, number when it is time to fade Yatko again um and hopefully we'll be right that time feel bad for gm3 don't feel bad about my shot here though again uh if he, if he wasn't going to produce those things then he was going to uh, uh lose a decision and you know uh, even though he could have won a decision too if he would have uh um hurt Yatko or got a, got some better shots off but uh but yeah this was uh Yatko's path it's always Yatko's path so not an impressive style, not a style I like, but uh, got to give it up to him. He got it. He got it there. Alexander Romanov defeated Chase Sherman by submission. Hopefully, you guys took that. I wish I jumped on that plus, or I wish I still had my plus one thirty-five by submission from last week. But of course, by the time I got to it, like the totals from this card coming up, which we'll get to. Um, you know, again, I was late to the game bang, and all there was was a bunch of goddamn Coney Island whitefishes and. Um, and yeah, I didn't get to lay the the Roman off by sub because I just wanted to get out of there before the the maid came to clean up the place. I didn't want to get blamed for the mess, you know. For you fucking savages, get in there with the lines. <laughs> Jesus, Dan, what an analogy. Francisco Figueredo, big fig, defeated uh, Daniel De Silva. That was a fast one, another knee bar there. Um, why don't y'all ogle over the this one, huh? No, what the fucking knee bar is low percentage shit, Jesus. That was a nice one, though. I don't really care. I didn't mind getting the pick wrong because I had the under in that fight. So that was nice. Um, and it definitely helped. Uh, Gabe Green defeated uh, Johan Liness. Um, man, Gabe Green came through. Got the people who are on Gabe Green. And then friends who are on Johan. Man, hearts out to you because I felt like you were on the verge of winning that. And that was a, that was a, that was a solid comeback from Gabe. Um... Natan Levy defeated Mike Breeden. That was just, whoa. Felt for anybody that took a shot. I had I picked Levy there. I didn't bet him, but I feel bad for anybody that took a shot on Breeden because it seemed like he was always, it was like going to be taken over each round, and then opportunistic stuff got him hurt. Good on Levy. Shannon Young defeated Jana Mazzani. The undercashed pick was wrong there, which is fine. The undercashed, so I was happy. And it came in just under in one house and just over in another, so that's why I just called it a break-even night. Alrighty. How'd we do on time there? 31. Alright, Bellator 208. Um, yeah, I'm taking Bader inside the distance, and it's like minus 140, which sucks, and under 2.5, I don't want to pay chalk for that, because like, you know, what if he is content with just uh, riding Congo out, right? And Congo is just stalling and fouling and breaking up the momentum. Um, that being said, I do see Bader eventually getting it done inside the distance, although Congo, you know, according to history, is deceptively tough to finish. But after seeing the frustration, he's either going to foul himself to the fight ends out of frustration from the bottom, or Bader's going to 
win with a stoppage via Congo, just eventually frustrating him. Because Congo's older now, and his cardio is not as good. Um, and uh, Bader, even though, you know, he did tire a bit and had to dig, dig deep, that was an, another sizable, younger, wrestly or heavyweight, and that's not going to be Congo, even though Congo obviously does not underrated wrestling, has incorporated that into his game. But as we saw when he tried to both get offensive and defensive with Bader, as we could have predicted, it wasn't going to go well. Um, I saw my guy Lance Fisher able to get plus money by parlaying Bader and Yoel. I'm going to look into that because that's like maybe the only way for me to play Bader at this point because I don't want to lay more chalk. Um, but yeah, no Bellator plays. Um, all right, 32-30. UFC, uh, 274. All right. Um, of course, it's headlined by Charles Oliveira, minus 170. Justin Gaethje, come back on him, is plus 150. Got my in-depth breakdown up as we speak over at MMAJunkie.com. Uh, I researched this one t- to the bone and... Got my research done early for Dan's show, or Clint's show, sorry, with the Dan's, and then recorded my video, but then all the stuff with my dog and everything else, the car stuff, and you know how it always is on these double event weeks, man. Universe No Chill. Um, came up, and uh, yeah. Hence me not getting it written until like late Wednesday night or some shit. I can't remember. I barely slept this week. But I'm very proud of it, so please share it around. Or you know, It helps. It helps, you know. Um, unfortunately, all these numbers are the only thing that fucking matters, and, uh, you know, my articles and shit don't get a lot of clicks, this stuff doesn't get a lot of listens, and this ultimately affects the money that I can make, which sucks, which, which sucks, but hey, uh, yeah, we got Charles Oliveira fighting the good fight for the, uh, underprivileged, not forgetting where the fuck he came from, gotta love fucking Dubronx, Slim Charles, baby. The smart pawn. You know. Um, Gaethje's a live dog. He always is. It always feels great uh, to, to be be a, on Justin Gaethje, you know, because he's a, he's a fun fighter who who doesn't like Justin Gaethje as a fighter, who doesn't feel good having a Justin Gaethje ticket, right? You know, you always feel like you've got a good chance with that guy, of course. Especially now with this, uh, sorry for you, the dog snoring. Especially now with the countering game, you know, that we've seen him kind of embrace since before the Tony Ferguson fight, but really turn the corner of that level. And we've seen it before. Like I said in my breakdown, I don't think the back foot approach and, and leg kicks to headshots that he did against Khabib is going to be good. Um, however, I've heard interviews and he says, you know, he's going to be back to his forward moving ways. That He said the tactics in that fight were wrong. It looks like he was working body work, so that's good for Gaethje. Uh, I think the body work's going to be good for him, too, obviously, and forward pressure. Because directionality, akin to my Poirier and Dubronx breakdown, which proved to be the, which proved to be right, right? The directionality of that fight, you know, is that um, Dubronx is, is the forward mover, man. You know, um, Gaethje will secede that. Um, he'll come forward, but in the very beginning... Um, if you move in on him and, and throw at him, you can hit him and you can get him to back up. I've seen this uh, pre-backstep Gaethje and, and during, since. So I still think the directionality favors Dubronx. And clashes will also favor, I believe, Dubronx because not just the macro, he has the grappling threat as far as things that can be produced when two people clash of the outcomes, 
Um, but also his length and body work and the way he does his body work. Because he length via kicks, he's much more of a kicker. And he does a lot of his body work, though he can punch very well there. And knee, well, he does it also with kicks. And whether it was James Vick who hit Gaethje with a bunch of body kicks or Eddie Alvarez with his knees, um, all the shots of the midsection, you know, Dustin Poirier with his southpaw crosses, all these different varied shots hit at a high percentage. I test stats and otherwise hit Gaethje at a high percentage. And that was the key. Body work, as we saw Eddie Alvarez kind of, you know, was the first to kind of show that pathway, you know. Yes, Gaethje can be hurt, um, but he's, you know, he'll recover, he'll keep fighting. He's tough to get out of there, right? Um, That body, though, that body really takes it out of him. Uh, Even guys who can navigate, at least in a striking war, when they're not facing Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's proven to kind of navigate the wars with maturity like a Dustin Poirier. Even he was kind of toast by the end of the first round, if you look at it. You look at you look at his, his body, like that body, all the body work he was landing. I know he has a well-timed counter that drops to Bronx, but that body work really took it out of him. And when these fighters do get in close, yes, they're both good at fighting in close quarter combat. I mean, Justin Gaethje is one of the most devastating clinch fighters. He keeps defense on a hair trigger with his hips ready to sprawl, but can also have the wherewithal to still hit leg click kicks off of collar ties, along with all the other dirty boxing and fun stuff, right? And he's really good in that space. Obviously, he's good hand trapping and collar ties. We know how dangerous Gaethje is there. But I can know a thing John Anik said about Gabe Green, how, you know, uh, Gabe Green said a lot of his pressure filing st- style was dictated by his vision and lack of vision. That's something that, you know, I was thinking of a lot this week, and I want to give the proper credit. Again, not a lot of people give their proper credits, but I want to give the proper credit to the Southpaw podcast, Sam Yang, and as well as Jason Sargis, because I believe they had this conversation while I was on there with them, and maybe even on their own. I just want to credit them. But... Uh, speaking about fighters like Oliveira or Gaethje or others, they, you know, I know I, I brought this up a lot with the Stipe fight. And, you know, I don't think he was seeing certain shots well after those eye pokes. Um, and it can influence a fighter's style. And uh, I would suspect that that's why there's kind of a lot of quiet similarities with both. Gaethje and Dubronx. You know, they both wear glasses, have had vision issues to different variations, but this could also be why they both inherent are inherent pressure fighters, why they both like to reach out for collar ties, hand traps, and work really well off of that. Um, Justin, he works really well, obviously, off of his uh, inside parries, um, you know, and returns. And again, Stipe also uses those a lot, and he has suspect vision too. You know, so I wonder if it's like these kind of, you know, touching your opponents is going to allow you to hit them easier, right? And you look at what they get hit by in return. Like, both Dubronx and Gaethje um, got tagged up by Chandler early because Chandler's really fast. And Chandler would not just use his speed to blitz and explode, but he would use timing change-ups, right? Like, those things really fuck up these guys, right? Or, like, when they both fought Poirier, albeit Dubronx won and Gaethje lost, but what did Poirier fuck them both up with? It was well-timed counters. 
well-timed counters can fuck anybody up because, well, they're called well-timed counters for a reason. But back to the vision point, well, it would especially fuck somebody up with bad vision because they're going to have a hard time gauging the counter even coming, whether they're having trouble seeing it or judging the distance if they do see it, right? Again, different varying vision problems to different varying degrees here. But this is what traditionally catches them. So, if they do go in close quarters, although Gaethje is still dangerous and can hypothetically spark any man out at 155 pounds from this from this space, I would have to imagine a man wired similarly, similarly uh, to him, not just through favorable tech, uh, the techniques they favor, but for the reasons that they favor said techniques. Well, I have to imagine that fighter has a, you know, again, he could still be stopped. He could still lose in that position. Sure, I'm not denying that, but I have to imagine on paper he has a better percentage chance of surviving. Just like if you're facing a front headlock specialist uh, or if a front headlock specialist is facing another person who's good from the front headlock, I would like to think, I would have to imagine or at least like to think that their chance of surviving against the specialist is at least better on paper than their contemporaries simply because they also specialize in the same thing. Again, it's not bulletproof. It's not one-to-one. It's not default all theory, but it is a theory that, you know, is worth at least tethering some of us a, a, a bit our thoughts to the ground. Not not believing it religiously, of course, but something to keep in mind, right? Um, and then again, furthermore, back to the macro, you also have all the grappling entanglements and the co- and that can lead from the collar tie all of a sudden drop down to the body lock, change level for a shot, so forth and etc. These are things that Oliveira can do um, that Gaethje cannot. And if Gaethje does hit him, it's got to be a clean knockout, which, you know, most of Gaethje's clean knockouts are actually pre-UFC. It was a cumulative damage in multiple facets that that's gotten his opponents out of there um in the UFC in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways minus you know like chinny guys like James Vick of course right um and uh you know granted Gaethje was I think on paper the person to kind of start that though to, to be fair um officially right but yeah uh if he because if, if he knocks Oliveira down which I don't I wouldn't be surprised if he does some what a kid in Hapoye did. Um, I don't think he could follow him there. You know, even Poye, who's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, was afraid to grapple with Dubronx, afraid to get up, to give his back, right? Um, I'm not, like, talking about afraid as in, like, he's a fearful man. Like, he's a badass, Dustin Poye. I don't mean it disrespectfully, but, like, you know, tactically, yeah, there's reason to be fearful, right? I don't mean it disrespectfully. But unlike, you know, Lamas and Anthony, uh, Anthony Pettis and Ricardo, uh, the Rick Lamases of the world, uh, I don't think Justin Gaethje is going to be able to fall or hurt Oliveira to the floor. So immediately, Charles Oliveira gets the Damian Maya out in this fight if he wants. He gets to, if he gets hurt to the body, to the legs or to the head, he gets to fall to his back and say, come on. It doesn't matter what the optics are. These guys are both playing for finishes. I don't see this fight going the distance, folks. I don't even think we can jinx this one. You know what I'm saying? Like, we ain't playing for points here. Um, All he's got to do is lay on his back anytime he's hurt, and he can get his time to recover. 
You know, because Gagey's not going to want to come in. And if he does, that's good for New Bronx. So that's something to consider, too, that I don't hear people talking about a lot. And again, that doesn't mean he can't get an accumulative stoppage either. Of course he can. It's just engaging. You look at how Chandler was almost able to stop New Bronx in round one, right? But again, you look at that too, just like how Poirier and New Bronx's success was deceptive in that fight, right? You know, Poirier may win the round with a knockdown in a, in a two-way violence round, but you look at who got the better of who, and it was the bodywork that seemed to have broke Poirier by the end of that fight, you know, at the end of that round. It really broke him down, not broke him mentally. Again, he's not a weak, mentally weak dude, I'm not saying that, but it broke him down. It did, physically. Uh, but even the Michael Chandler round one that everybody points to, and I picked Chandler in that fight, folks, so fully admit it, but even in my defense, even staunch Dubronk supporters and betters and backers in that fight, even they said, hey, I'm a little worried about this one because... Even they agreed with me. Michael Chandler was his worst matchup on paper. But even even after Michael Chandler almost finishes him at the end of round one, go back and watch, folks. Go back and watch how they get up. Dude Bronx gets up like fucking nothing. I mean, you want to call this guy quitter? Look how he gets up after almost getting torched by Chandler in round one. He gets up confident, fast, calm, no hard breaths, almost as if he knows what's coming in the next round, whereas... Chandler is just exhausted, uh, gathering himself. You know, this guy's still here. And then we see what happens in the very beginning of the next round. And I think that momentum started actually at the end of the first round, the round where, where Dubronx was almost finished. Go look at that. I mean, this guy's got got that mental wherewithal. That that, that happens. The Poirier, that Poirier was able to achieve it. So many of these fighters who pay their dues um, and able to overcome their adversities, you know, um, are able to achieve. And obviously, Gaethje is another fighter who is able to achieve and overcome his adversities um, and has been through the wars, win or lose, too. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he can't win, but, you know, I think Oliveira is favored for a reason here, and I hate that the inside the distance lines are jacked up. Um, I want to take sub, but, you know, again, Gaethje could get hurt here. and uh, Gaethje's been hurt. Um, Oliveira could get a stoppage by strikes here. Oliveira... You know, uh, you could arguably, the guys who can wrestle from Nick Lentz to, you know, even like going back to the, what do you call the, Timor, uh, David Timor, like those guys could actually wrestle and may have finished them by sub, but he was striking with those guys, like Chandler, Wrestleboxer, Gaethje now, Wrestleboxer, you know, maybe with the Wrestleboxers, Dubronk strikes a little more, will he take the sub? Obviously, he's Dubronk, Slim Charles, baby, he'll close the show. But he could do it by, by knockout here, which makes me nervous to lay the subline, which is plus money. Um, so we'll see. If I'm up on the night, I'll probably end up sprinkling on Bronx. If I'm really up, maybe I lay the money line, but we'll see. It's kind of a conservative night with plays. Um, we'll see where I end up. But, yeah, that's what I was looking at, you know. Slim Charles, ITD, or you know, or maybe by sub, but... um. Yeah, I don't have any houses that offer the under two and a half, which is chalk, but probably one of the safer bets and safer angles. Um, so yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not gonna touch it unless I get the number, and we'll see. I'll tweet it out. But yeah, I'll be looking to play Dubronx ITD or Dubronx sub, or maybe even just I'll lay the Dubronx money line. We'll see where the where it goes, where my night goes. But um, but yeah, those front teeps, man, those front teeps. Um, are going to land, they're going to break him down to the body. And also, I wrote about this in my breakdown, but 
those will also force him to eat, open up more of a guard, guard manipulating offense. As in, it'll make him drop his guard, which will open him up more to hooks. It'll make him drop his already lower level, which will open him up to knees, uh, as well as front headlock snatches. You know, like Gaethje, a part of this uh, style that he's had. Uh, is that he's fighting lower. Now, maybe he won't fight as low if he's going forward and pressuring like he's calling for, but he is fighting a grappling threat, so I, I'm going to imagine he's going to have his, his his level lowered because of that, right? Because his level was lower even extra with Khabib. And what did Khabib do? He, Khabib fucked him up with some front kicks and knees, and that's not even, like, Khabib's thing. Like, yeah, he'll spam, like, the flying knee, but, like, you know, it's, it's like how he spams everything else. It's very low percentage, and he's just fucking... Sp- athletic bullying you as a means to an end to get close to you. You know what I'm saying? If he fucking knocks you down with it, he knocks you down with it, of course. He'll take it, right? Um, But yeah, like, that's a shot that, like, everybody who throws front kicks or knees on Gaethje or body kicks, front kicks, knees, like, they land those things, man. And then, like, the dipping and stuff that he does, like, we saw Tony Ferguson not do it to him, unfortunately. Uh, But, like... uh, to Lando Venata, you know, you watch that fight, how Tony Ferguson snatches it up. I could see Charles Oliveira doing a similar thing if, you know, um, Gaethje hunches over in front of him. Because not only is it his punching slash ready-to-defend takedowns in MMA style, but it's also his wrestling style. Like, he always uses his head position, like, aggressive forward-moving head position uh, in conjunction with his hips that are hardwired to shoot backwards and sprawl. Again, the guy's got an excellent first layer of defense, but that's because he's always so geared to like kind of go forward and throw his head forward. He almost headbutts people and will rear steer, re-steer with his head. The problem is, is that also always causes him to fall forward outright or just dip his head forward to an unnatural level. Again, knees and front headlock snatches, folks. So, um, yeah. And then you also look at like, Part of the reason why I'm picking some of the, you know, uh, picking the grapplers at least up top, and I'm fading the grapplers maybe a little more below the card, the lower level ones, but the reason why I'm picking the higher level ones is because their paths are so clear for grappling that it tends to, and it might not make the difference to, to varying different results, granted, but nevertheless, it tends to almost mute the offense, right? That's why Khabib looked like such a good striker, even though he, he wasn't. Um, you know, part of it was people fawning over him and S and his D, because that comes with the territory of having a zero next to your name. You know, people will just kind of inflate things and put things there just because you're undefeated. And it's so rare in the sport, not looking at the actual context of it. But another reason was because he was fighting people, you know, who either, you know, not that they weren't good strikers, But because the strikers were so, you know, because striking was their strong suit, even if they had like a wrestling base like Iaquinta, they just knew that that was Khabib's, Khabib's strength that it froze them up. You know, it, it froze them up. Credit to Michael Johnson, man, right? He, he didn't freeze him up. He almost fucking, you know, um, knocked out Khabib on Connor's undercard. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, but like you know, um, but when when it came to other other fighters, it's just their striking was you know went down so many points whenever they face such a good grappling threat because they're so worried about that, right? And you know, I think there's going to be a similar effect. So I, you definitely see it with Gaethje. He's not throwing the same shot selections. He's much more conservative, and 
he's much more tense and subsequently makes him tire much more. And Khabib doesn't even go to the body as much as Dubronx does, right? Um, so, yeah, I really feel like Dubronx can bring in out of him. And I just feel like the front teeps will connect to the knees, which will connect to the clinch. And um, collar ties and so forth. And specifically with the collar ties, I put welcomes collar ties. Because Gaethje, I looked at it. Anytime someone reaches and tries to collar tie or touch him or put him in a clinch, he, he welcomes it. He allows it. And if they take him, try to take him down, he'll obviously shut it down with a hard sprawl. But like he doesn't have those hard tr triggers for clinch injuries and collar ties. He welcomes it. And that's just going to be a bad thing, whether he's initiating it or he's welcoming Dubronxes. So, <sighs> sorry, long-winded, but... Yeah, man, I, I feel pretty good about Dubronx here, and we're going to have to have some serious conversations on how we fucking view this division. Um, you know, as far as meaningful champion legacies, you know? You know, people building the division, Jens fucking Pulver, that's a lightweight legacy. You know, Khabib doesn't have a legacy. Khabib's legacy is a fucking undefeated number. He didn't build the division like Jens. He didn't take the division to a new level, bringing people like The Rock and Jason Statham uh, hitting 400k numbers on average pre-social media, pre-Fox like BJ was. He didn't take the fucking hard road and start with a losing streak and have no gifts given to him and take that road that RDA did when he was the lightweight champ. Do shit like that, then come fucking talk to me. And you know who can come fucking talk to all those points? Slim fucking Charles, baby. Charles Oliveira. Um, he can. That's who I got inside the distance. All right. I'm going to try to get through the rest of this kind of fast. Uh, Chud Hose, uh, minus 210. Carlos Barza, plus 175. Honestly, folks, I came into this fully expecting to pick Nama Yunus and not thinking twice about it. Um, she should be favored despite losing the first fight. Um, all rematches are different, right? That's, that was, that's been the reminder of the year. So if, if that's the case, well, then Barza won the first one. Nama Yunus should win the second one. You know, the stat that I threw out and have thrown out before, but have only seen to finally caught fire now. Um, yes, that stat being Nami Yunus is undefeated in rematches. But, of course, those people who will take that stat won't do the southpaw stats or other stats that are unique that you actually have to do the legwork for, like another stat that I've had for fucking years now, uh, half a decade now, because it's held true for half a decade and still holds true, which is whenever Rose Nami Yunus takes the back of an opponent, she is undefeated. She doesn't have to finish from there, folks. She just has to take the back once. She's undefeated in that fight. So, you know, uh, what about, the, you know, what's the stat? What It's like over, no, no one's ever uh, retained a championship, gotten back to a belt successfully after over four years. This is going to be seven, right? It's going to be roughly the same time Frankie Edgar had to close when he faced Max Holloway, right, for the featherweight belt. Um, so probably not going to happen by all those stats. That's why this is not a, a play as of now, uh, nor would it be a recommended play for you. Um, and it's not even one that I've played yet because, again, it's 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 a semi-reluctant pick despite having a better number than what I'm going to attack. But I actually ended up siding with Esparza because when I went back to watch the Zhang Wei Li fight, because, again, I didn't, that was the, that was another pay-per-view week where uh, the universe kind of jumped at me and uh, uh, I busted my hand right as so I was, remember, I was, I was actually going to travel and, you know, I always get fucked up before I travel. And, um... And uh, that was another one I fucked up some pay to right before Christmas. Always nice. Again, timing, 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 folks. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I wasn't able to finish my breakdown, but I did pick Nami Yunus to beat Zhang Wei Li. Again, folks, I, I barely pick against Nami Yunus, and I've been a defender of hers when she was picked on for mental health shit. Like, just because she says racist shit uh, doesn't mean I can't do my job. But that being said, I will call out the racist shit that no one else fucking calls out. Thankfully, someone's gotten Rose's ear, and she's, like, not been doing that stuff as much, so... Uh, I'm going to leave it at that for this, but uh, it is funny to always see the grooming stuff brought up, um, because that's true too, folks, that's also another issue, but hey, you know, fucking, oh, you know, you, you know how it is, you know, you, whether it's like Patty Pimlet, Rose Nami Yunus, you know, like fighters who like say racist shit about immigrants, and, uh, you know, say stuff that, you know, if, you know if, if fuels hate crimes on groups, those are the people we call fucking wholesome, apparently. You know, you know, those are the people we call fucking marketable media darlings. Uh, insert Dan Tom jerk off Jeff here. Um, but anyways, um, she's a talented fighter. She deserves to be the favorite. She's the more potent to finish. In fact, I could totally see like switch kicks to the head or the flying knees that she kept trying to hit on um, Jessica Andrade in their rematch. Um, I could see that hitting a Sparza because Sparza can be a bit rote. Um, with her dipping propensities, and so what do I always say, folks? Death taxes and wrestle boxers running into knees and head kicks, right? Mainly head kicks, but you know what I mean. That being said, um, not only by the way did you know, it's you know it should be it'd probably been a draw at the worst, but probably should have been an Andrade win. Um, but you can make arguments that Nama Yunus, you know, lost two of those rematches or her last two, right? In fact, to Andrade and Zhang Wei Li. Um, and the fact that the people point to, and, and, and that, that, you know, it was offensive wrestling that won her the fight late, both in the Zhang Wei Li and Yoana and Jacek fights, which again, folks, by the way, according to criteria, which that change already happened by the time that UFC 223 fight I was in attendance for of that rematch. And again, I'm not going to live and die on that hill that like Yoana and Jacek won that fight, but there was a definite argument for her to win that fight because what is the argument that everybody uses why Rose won? It's 2-2 two two heading in the last round, but Rose hits the crucial takedown. Now, she does score some pitter-patter BS off it, true, but again, what have we been reminded of criteria? Late-round takedown shouldn't determine fights. It's the actual effective damage, you know, uh, and how much are you able to get off of that position, you know? And again, I'm not going to live and die. She did able to get, like, Yanni and Jacek stuck against the fence for a little bit and land a little bit of pitter-patter with, or whatever, I guess. But, I mean, that's the point. I mean, these were nip and tuck, you know, as far as the rematches go. Um, I, I didn't go back to watch the Torres fight, but that was, like, one of the worst versions of Torres. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure Torres still had her moments there, too, even though it was a clear win for Nami Yunus in that rematch. But yes, again, I got fucked up on that last week when she fought her last fight week where she fought Whaley, though I picked her to beat Whaley. But when I went back to watch it again, like I said, like many, I'm like, how the fuck did she win this fight? You know? You got people I respect, like the Sean Sheehan's of the world, going 49-46 uh, Zhang, which you don't have to agree with, but it's definitely easy to make the 48-47 case in the first two rounds. In fact, the round that, you know, uh, the judges didn't give her. Uh, was round two, which was weird because of all the rounds where, you know, people were giving Zhang or not giving Zhang between one and three, round two was the time where she clearly hurt uh, Rose. Round two was the time where she clearly hurt Rose. Round two was the time where anybody who was clearly hurt. Was, round two was the time where the biggest shot of the entire fight was landed. 
as well as the leg kicks, counters, and takedowns, I believe. But, um, but yeah, she lost the fight, and I think if it wasn't, but of course, you know, it was media darling Rose Namajunas versus a Chinese athlete. We know how regarded Chinese anything is regarded in North America, much less North American sports, much less North American sports and media. No one gave a shit about that fight. It's like, hey, she probably lost that fight. Heh, what do you know? Well, it's Rose. Anyways, the point to draw from it uh, is you go back and watch the actual wrestling. And Zhang Wei Li um, was able to get, uh, you know, was able to do really well with wrestling. Um, and a lot of those wrestling techniques were probably were, were pretty new because they were specific, like fight ready with the inside trip and other things. And she's, you know, shot for takedowns and done trip before, but they were different trips. They were outside trips, so they were different style of shots. She had much more, you know, you could see the Cejudo fingerprints, you know what I'm saying? And she was able to, that was her first camp with Fight Ready, and she was able to execute stuff on a, a fighter as talented as Rose Namajunas. Well, what's a fighter who already beat Rose, who grew up doing these things, who is arguably, especially with Tatiana Suarez inactive, right? Not just the best wrestler in the division, but arguably maybe the best and most diverse takedown artist regardless of female divisions in the UFC and Asparza, right? And secondly, not even just the pure wrestling portion of it, which Asparza has in spades, and I don't think we have to argue here, but a lot of Zhang's takedowns were off of caught kicks. In fact, a lot of Asparza's takedowns in their first fight was off of caught kicks. In fact, in between those two wide-ranging sample size, a lot of the takedowns Nami Yunus has suffered were off of caught kicks. So back to the note I said about the fear of, of grappling, um, shelving a lot of your offense. Like, Gaethje didn't even... And he would have eventually at the very end of round one and, and been put to sleep in round two, but he didn't even taste that from Khabib yet, the way Nami Yunus could still have that in her head, right? We don't know. You know we'll listen to Bilal, right? As, as prepared and tough as that guy is, he was just like, oh my God, dude, I was... You know, when somebody fucks you up like that, when they're the first person to, to, to beat you by finish or the first person to break you and beat you by finish in Nami Yunus's case, that can stick with you more than you know. And again, even though me, of all people, yeah, I have got the receipts to prove it, I've defended Nami Yunus and others, uh, you know, for, uh, for the name of mental health. But at the same time, let's not pretend like she's the most consistent fighter or the most stable fighter. Let's not pretend that the majority of her cornering is cheerleading work. And if you didn't have Trevor Whitman there, it would all go to hell because you got Pat Barry overdoing it. And you see in like a cycle, like that leads up by from the Tough 20 finale to other things where they fall out, where like Pat Barry, like you see him getting louder and louder than Trevor Whitman. And it was gross. I mean, aside from the, you know, statutory stuff, but it's just, it was just, I always thought it was gross, their relationship, because like even back in the day, They'd be doing interviews when Rose was just coming up and Pat Barry like couldn't let his career go. You know, he couldn't step aside. He always had to fucking drop in on the aerial interviews when Rose was trying to get her sign and go, What up, yo, it's Pat Barry. Hi, And like you hear him in the corners, and you're just like, bro, you just fuck everything up, don't you? You're just fucking everything up. And you're like, Rose tell these stories like, yeah, he was getting drunk and fucking up the camp. <laughs> and and I guess he's better now and more on task, but if you look at it, like, it worried me, dude. Like, he took, like, he was actually taking head rolls in the corner between, you know, and again, that wasn't the reason why she was getting taken down. It just compounded into troubling flags for me because it was sounding a lot less of the concise corner and much more of a cheerleading thing, you know? And 
you know, I know Whitman is, is trying to keep his, his, his crew low because he's working on a ton of projects. That was something I realized when I, when I researched at the beginning of the year for giving, which again, I gave his camp. I'm, I'm picking against his fighters here, but I, 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 I don't, I barely pick against them. It's not a hater thing, folks. I, I gave Trevor Whitman the coach of the year. It's up to me. Junkie didn't tell me who to give it to. Um, and I paid him and all his athletes their due respect, man. But in that, you know, this guy's got a lot of different hats and stuff going on. You know, is Pat taking over more now? Um, uh, of the training, that can't be good. <laughs> and, you know, and, and again, you know, uh, so if, if, you know, back to that point about offense being muted, like there's the psychology of mute being muted and then there's tactically being muted where she probably won't be able to throw kicks and stuff as much. And that's probably what's going to be served her the best in this fight. You know, can she, can she frustrate and fuck up Esparza and even mark up Esparza with, Jabs and crosses, absolutely. Absolutely she can. And I could totally see this fight. I'm predicting that it goes to the decision because I think that Nami Yunus, you know, even when she was getting the fucking piss beaten out of her in what was a clear 10-8 round for uh, Andrade in round three, to Rose's credit, man, she was she was getting up and fighting. She didn't, you know, she, she, she wouldn't have been effective and she probably would have been beat down and finished eventually if that fight would have gone five rounds. But... To her credit, she kept fighting, man, you know? And uh, I think she will here. I think she's going to be harder to submit, you know, even though she does get to the ground. She does use butterflies and insteps, uh, butterfly insteps and feet on the hips. And ultimately, even though Esparza has improved on her passing and top game and controls and damage, that's ultimately but what's been able to, when fighters have been able to get her off, that's ultimately what's been able to do it. And even when Nami Yunus was down rounds and frustrated, she was still able to put feet on the hips and push Zhang Weili off at a crucial time and then start to get her own takedowns. But like the takedowns that arguably bailed her out, insert jerk-off sign here, uh, in that Zhang fight and, and the Njacek fight, like, is she going to have that option against Esparza? Like, Esparza can be taken down. Like, her wrestling defense isn't that great. Like, I think she got exposed... Um, early and throughout to the middle of her career even whenever she got put on bottom because she, again, being one of the few girls that can wrestle gives you such a good advantage, but it also probably means you're rarely on bottom with your contemporaries, and that showed. That being said, Esparza's really improved a lot of those parts of her game, working with Casey Halstead, 10th Planet, um, and working with a ton of, you know, we're doing like high-level grappling tournaments and getting back to her, you know, always keeping her wrestling sharp, also improving her stand-up and entries. And if you look at it, outside of those close and arguably controversial split decision losses to Random Marcos uh, in Canada, which that fight actually, you know, it, it's close enough. It's it, it annoys me because it's just like opportunistic slop that Random Marcos is scoring with, but it's enough opportunistic slop and you still have to score said slop, even if I'm a technical nerd, and you still have to score that. And in scoring that, it was close enough to justify a Marcos victory. So not so much crying over that one, although that definitely could have gone as far as his way. Um, but, uh, the, uh, Claudia Gadelia one definitely should have gone as far as his way, you know, like, yeah, you could see under certain eyes, I'll like, okay, rounds one and three, but then maybe not, um, you know, around this round, but it's like, maybe not round one, but it's like, dude, she dropped her in round one. It's like, yeah, she gets a guillotine and it's bad optics. She ends around in bad optics, but she did, the, she landed the more damaging shots, um, to Claudia, right? And then the clear Claudia round is round two. But if you actually go back and watch that round, folks, like Claudia gets the most control time and yada, yada, yada.
But at the very at the end, um, Esparza is able to reverse um, again, which is another dangerous part. Like even if Rose gets her on bottom, then you're taking the chance of getting reversed and then having Esparza get on top of you, like she did. Um, to an even better wrestler and higher accoladed grappler in Gadelia, right? In a round where Gadelia was still somewhat fresh. I know Gadelia does tend to gas toward the end of round two, so perhaps it falls in the line of that. But point is, that was the least contested Gadelia round, but even in that round, you could argue Esparza does the most damage. She doesn't drop her like she does in the first round, but Esparza, I know she's you know light-fisted or whatever, or this or that, or small, but you can't do the unfair bias like you, you do with Tisha Torres. Like If these girls are doing work, and actually creating physical signs of damage, you have to award that to them. Even if it's not the flashy, explosive bullshit, which doesn't learn half the time, mind you, that most of y'all fawn over. And if you go look at it, it may be little honey badger elbows, but it fucking marks up Gedalia's eye. Like, she touches it immediately. She's touching it in her corner. It's bothering her. She can barely see. It's swelling. Um, it bothers her for the rest of the fight. It's arguably the most damaging strike on either side. And it came from Esparza in a round that Everybody, you know, would say that she clearly lost. But even in that round, it's like, well, did she? You know what I'm saying? Like, we saw a fucking what's-her-fuck, you know, again, take a shot. Dan's bringing up Caitlin Vieira and Yana Kunitskaya again. Um, we saw her couple elbows at the end of the round. That was enough to steal her around, you know? And, and fucking uh, Vieira had more passes, advances, and submission attempts um, than Gadelia had on Esparza. But we still, we still have no issue giving... Giving Yana Kunitskaya that round because she created blood with a couple elbows last minute. You know? And like, Esparza actually did damage. Anyways, the point is, if those two split decisions go that way, her way, you can look at her record and essentially, outside of those fights, like, she, you know, if you include those fights, Esparza has only needed a minimum of two completed takedowns to win, and, and she's she's only she's undefeated essentially with two completed takedowns if you count those fights, going her way. Zhang went five for eleven. Um, and I think that five is important because I think that even though again according to my um, caveated stat that I gave out. She just needs two takedowns. I, I think, honestly, Esparza is going to need at least five here, folks, to win. And even then, it's going to be, we're going to end up arguing on the scorecards. Was it Rose's big moments in the feet versus how much perceived damage and work Esparza was able to get done with her top position time? Because, again, it's not just control time or takedowns. It's what you do with them is what makes them count, right? And I think that's what we're going to end up arguing about here. And in a fight that's going to be that close, in a fight where Esparza is only two takedowns away from win, from her win conditions, technically, it's all she needs is two. Um, I'll take it, man. You know, Rose is bound to drop the ball. She has, if you look at her record, and if you're smart, and you know what you're looking at as far as what's actually landing, and criteria, and martial arts, and all that knowledge, well, then you realize that... You know, she's more even more vulnerable than you know the media and 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 production would like you to believe. So it shouldn't happen. It doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it kind of does make sense. So you know what? Fuck it. I ended up taking Esparza by decision. Um, if Carla gets back up to her original price of plus one eighty or pass, and I'm doing well, then you know at that point I'll probably lay like a half unit on her. You know, if she gets over one eighty. Otherwise, maybe I'll just do a half unit on the decision at plus 275, especially if that goes up. 
I'll tweet it if I play it. I haven't played it yet because I want to see how the other plays go. And really, it again, it's not the most confident pick. It shouldn't be. Um, and again, I got to admit my bias. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I cl- clearly have bias against uh, Chud Hose. So, you know, I, I got to acknowledge that too, man. Even though I acknowledge she's an amazing fighter, I got to acknowledge my bias against her. So, um, and that can be dangerous when you're betting money, folks. You got to be honest with yourself. So that's why I'm being tentative right now. But I do show my work as far as the pick goes. I, I, it's it's not a hateful pick. I, I, I fully came into this week wanting to pick, uh, expecting to pick Nami Yunus, but didn't. Next fight, Michael Chandler, three sixty five minus three sixty five. Tony Ferguson plus two eighty. Um, taking Chandler here. Basically, I just want to say real quick, props to Tony for speaking up uh, about the health insurance and the other stuff. And. Um, like, I know he's he comes off like an asshole on these things. And, like, I've been at the receiving end of it, too. But, like, for any media taking that the wrong way, like, have you not been paying attention to Tony Ferguson interviews? You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been calling this out since I worked in MMA Junkie Radio, since I interviewed him and he did it to me. I don't take it personal. He's, he's He was one of my favorite fighters forever, Um, despite him giving me that same attitude. But I, I say it all the time. What do I say, folks? And... What, what Dan? You you actually studied, did the work, and said something about the fighter, and you're proven right about it over and over again? I know, crazy. That never happens in this podcast. But uh, is that you could be like, Tony Ferguson, you're the fucking man. We love you. Fuck you. You don't love me. Like, you could say the nicest things to Tony Ferguson, especially in on a fight week media day as presence. It doesn't matter. It's a losing game. Like, just don't even ask your question. Let someone else take the fucking bullet. You know what I'm saying? Like... Like, um, like, yeah, I didn't feel like I, yeah, of course I didn't like, you know, uh, you know, him trying to turn around on my guy, John Morgan for like, what was clearly like, well, you, you know, you know, I'm sure, you know, Tony Ferguson found it funny at the time. Right. Um, but that being said, that's who Tony Ferguson is. So we shouldn't be surprised that instead I would hope that the media should be championing what Tony's saying in the bigger message, you know, um, just as far as keeping, keeping it in the forefront, man, how these fighters are fucking treated. And I relate to Tony for better or worse, mainly worse, because I can be an outspoken guy that burn that can burn bridges, that can can be be a bit too real, can can be very combative. And I don't know Tony's psychology, so I'm not gonna fucking bother to assume. But for me, I know what it is. You know, I I just have a history of fucked up family, friends, and work environments. To now I'm ultra defensive, and I always feel like I'm not liked, I'm not wanted, I'm not supported, even when it's not true. Even when the cases where it's not true, I will still feel that way. That's why I forgive these fighters because I get it. It's not right. I'm not saying it's right, folks. I'm just saying that I get it, and I'm get I get where it comes from, and it's it's a chip on the shoulder. You know, I'm not wired like a fighter as a, I'm a badass or athlete or cool or any of these things that they are. But I do I do come from the the martial arts world. I do come from. Uh, you know, uh, broken house, home, troubled, family, whatever you want to call it, abuse, uh, abandonment. Yeah, checkbox, 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 man. I, I got all those fucking issues that, that causes this damn chip on the shoulder, you know? And uh, so I get it. I get it, man. I get not feeling feeling like you gave your fucking all for, you know, listening to the beginning of this podcast. Like, I, I get feeling, feeling like you... you you give so many good years, and then you realize what's been given back to you. When when that realization, it hurts, man. It hurts. 
We all have different ways of dealing with it, and it might not be the right way. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it is for me or for Tony. In fact, we're probably definitely in the wrong. That doesn't change the spirit. That doesn't mean we can't acknowledge the spirit and empathize or sympathize or be compassionate even um, about what they're saying and the truth that is being spoken, the truth in between the lines, right? The important stuff. Right? Because it's not just Tony Ferguson that needs health insurance and deserves it. He got fucked up for his time. He got fucked over, right? One of the many people that... That's why it's such a big deal when you have these Dubronxes and these RDAs and these fighters who made the hard road, right? Because they got the Dana White Brown privilege, coincidentally just mentioned all Brown fighters, taking the long road there, right? That's why that shit will 12 times out of 10 be a thousand times more impressive than some opportunistic undefeated record for a guy who literally, I don't even looking at it right now, but gun to my head, I'll say that literally pulled out of more high-level fights than took high-level fights in Khabib. But we all love to be right. We all love to be on the winning team. We all love to be in a winning argument. And an undefeated record, well, that doesn't leave very much room for argument if you want to do that shitty debate tactic where you take one undeniable fact like the sky is blue and you hide everything behind it and you don't acknowledge anything else despite it being part of the proper context and picture. So yeah, fuck yeah for Tony bringing up what everybody from other fighters, right? It's not just, just, just media. It's not just promotion. Like other fighters themselves, fans won't bring up in fact, fighters and fans will be the ones that will defend the promotion and, and bootlick. It's like that broken relationship, you know. Uh, the drug dealer thing, right? They got him hooked. To Tony's point, right? So, yeah, man. Um, it doesn't got to be a, you know, a racial thing, even though he's using the, the, white priv- the, the Dana White privilege and the Dana Brown. Obviously, he's just being tongue-in-cheek there. The real message, the thing we should be focusing on is what these fighters are going through, man, what they're getting and what they're, more importantly, what they're fucking not getting. Bullshit, fucking NFT crypto shit. Insert Dan Tom Jerkoff, Jip here. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. Pay these fucking fighters, man. You know, we like to cash our bets. We come here for breakdowns to be entertained. But you know what? Dude, these people give their fucking life and limb for our entertainment, man. So you guys might not might not like it. But Tony Ferguson is up there spitting the truth. You might not like it. But he is. And man, I sentiment with that, you know. I sentiment, you know. I was like, why is Navy Diaz not fighting? Why is he throwing away his career? But then it's like, you know, you just, you, you find out how these guys are getting treated and how they're getting paid. You're like, God damn, I get it, man. I, I definitely get it, believe me. You know, whether it's now or whether it's in the past, you know, so I saw my girlfriend, I used to have this job where I was a, a, a assistant project manager in a construction site. I used to get so much shit because I was related to people in the company and that's how everybody thought I got my job. But the truth is, I was making the least on the job site, not much higher than a laborer's pension, because that's what I started off at. I didn't, I didn't, 
my, my connects didn't allow me a high st- uh, high starting position or a high salary. I started off as a laborer. I had to learn how to how to not even paint. I had to learn how to tape walls. Uh, at the prep prep for the painters, I had to tape and patch walls first, um, then texture, then paint. Um, then took some years off my life getting this fucking license to spray the special Denimix fireproofing installation I did for years. Um, I, I literally did every job of the interior crew portion, even some stucco work and some roofing stuff as well before I got to that job. And when I finally got to it, only because I, you know, I could speak some languages and stuff and was good with the crew, but like, yeah, I didn't I didn't get shit for it. And I just remember every day walking in the fucking trailer, people would give me shit. Like, hey, Chinito. Hey, Chino. Fucking nice air conditioning in there, eh? I'm like, what the fuck is that? You guys acting like, you know, you guys acting like I didn't just fucking, you know, cut you at 37 hours in the week and let you write 40. You know, you're acting like uh, <laughs> I'm not uh, out there doing the work with you guys, which I would make it a point to. You know, and uh, I, was like, I just switched so badly. I could tell people what I was making, you know. Just they shut the fuck up and realize we're all in this together. And I, I kind of see that picture happen with the fighters. You know, you get flashbacks and like you know, people thinking to me like, oh, you, you have a blue check mark and you're in the media. You must have it fucking made. You must make a lot of money. You must... It's like no, I don't. You must have a following, good good podcast following. Can we work with you? All right, you'd be surprised when I tell you my numbers. But all right, you know, it's just it's a funny game, man. Sorry to devolve my breakdown into that, but I'm picking Chandler here. Um, there's no way for anybody to know how he's gonna fight, and for anybody to pretend is stupid. Um, but the reason why I was making a case on that panel. Um, was because I, well, not just, you know, do the work and study these fighters and patterns, uh, and also, you know, Chandler's one of the few fighters I actually know, personally trained with, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, um, and, and who knows, he could go out and fucking fight crazy with Tony Ferguson and it's Mike Chandler together, but I did the I told you gift, uh, Clarence Gilliard Jr. from Die Hard, um, with the Chandler interview because he's he's saying all those classic things of a fighter who's uh, who's exciting but they want to get they're coming to get the win right. He's saying all the stuff you know Chandler going oh of course oh of course if there's a finish I'll go for it oh yeah of course if I can get out of there early I'll, I'll try to get out of there early, but uh, I want to show uh, my technical side, guys. We know exactly what the fuck that means. He is going to wrestle. That's why the over at minus one thirty five was one of the best angles. And of course, since we did the show on Monday, like I, like I called like I called it on the panel, all you the gangbang analogy, all you motherfucker, all you early line dudes, you just gotta get in there, you gotta fucking blow up the lines, gotta gotta be first and to be right, you know, being first is more important than being right, you know, and I'm fucking stepping on sticky spots and fucking trying to dodge Coney Island white fishes, which is use condoms if you're not getting that parlance, folks. Shout out to Pete, uh, Pete's brat, uh, <laughs> teaching me that. Um, terminology at too far of a young age, but yeah, um, that shit got blown up to where it's like, now it's like minus 165 and now I don't want anything to do with it. You know what I'm saying? But here's what I think I might do because Chandler could get that first round finish that what many people are calling for. Um, you know, 
But here's what you do. I think if you you sprinkle this accordingly. Two prop bets on each side. You go Chandler round one. Um, slash Chandler round one KO because Tony ain't tapping. And the other second Chandler prop is Chandler by decision, right? Now, depending on the numbers, depending on how much you want to wager, uh, you're going to have to do your own math here, folks, okay? But you can make it to where you're walking out with some profit either. Now, the other two prop bets are Tony round two, Tony round three, just straight up. You're going to get really nice odds on those. You sprinkle small on those. I didn't do it myself, but I feel like with the numbers that be, you can create a winning combination for some guaranteed profit, a scatter shot, if you will. Um, but yeah, or if you like any of those ones in particular, those are the those are the value point spots. I think where you, you know where you want to snipe. Not gonna have a lot of good props this, you know, any round robin kind of shit, really. By the way, folks, either so apologies. Um, next fight, Mauricio Hua, as uh, Al Pacino said. Uh, I can heard Matt Sarah ripping ripping that joke. I think maybe he probably saw my tweet that I've been circulating and jokes that I've been circulating of that for years. It would make sense, by the way. And so many times, even on broadcasts, unless it's like John Anik, like especially on Bellator broadcasts, holy shit. And it's a fucking compliment because Morrow is the fucking man. But uh, whether it's Morrow or even like Josh or Big John on their keys to victories. Boy, do you see your boy Dan Tom's stats and talking points all over a Bellator broadcast. And I know they read my stuff, so I, I appreciate it. Fucking use it, please. You know, maybe give me a shout on the broadcast once for once. I don't know. That would be nice. But, um, yeah, that 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 was always my, my thing. I would always be the kid that would like make, a, make like the funny joke, but like either the popular kid or the popular friend in the group would take it and then make everybody else laugh with it. And like, you fucker. That story of my life. But, uh... Uh, oh, he's uh, my plus one ninety five underdog to Owen St. Pru OFP OS Tennessee 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 taking OSP O OSPP uh you down with OPP with OSP uh, all right Dan we get it <laughs> that is my uh, analysis for this I'm taking the uh, athlete who still has his knees. <laughs> It's south of 40, albeit just barely. Um, yeah, I'm not touching that fucking fight. Uh, also on the main card, I gotta scroll the fucking odds triggers all, all over the place. Donald Cowboy Cerrone, minus 190. Joe Lozon, plus 160. Um, didn't watch tape for this one. You don't really need to, because this is their fights with Raiders, we know. Um, under, uh, it was like minus 150, minus 155, which I would have played, but now it's up to minus 175, of course. That was one of my more confident plays uh, that I put out on that panel, and since then it's gotten blown the fuck up. Um, but under two and a half is the safest angle there. Um, but then we maybe I'll be glad that I got priced out of it because they could always do that old guy thing where they just go to decision, and it's like... It's like Orlovsky Rothwell, where they're both like so terrible in age that they just end up looking like two fighters in their prime again. Like, you know, in, in, in a room full of in a room full of in a room full of fours, the five looks like a looks like an eight. You know what I'm saying, right? Um, the five looks like even even a ten. You know, it could be one of those cases there. So maybe it'll be good that I get priced out. But um, yeah, I know Lozon is a popular bet. Lozon round one. 
that's where the air quote value is. Live bet on Cerrone. Um, those are all the obvious talking points. You don't really need to watch tape to, to, to realize those things. Good luck if you're taking any of those shots. I am not. I am going to pick Cerrone, and uh, I'll, I'll pick him to get a late finish. Um, that'll uh, make uh, underbetters probably sweat. It'll be probably close to that under a point, but I'll take uh, Cerrone to survive the storm um, and be motivated in front of the crowd and his kid um, and the time off. Yeah, me to sound. All right, Chaos Williams, minus 125. Randy Brown, plus 105. This was a line I was targeting, and then, um, you know, I, I saw some people I respect on Randy Brown, and I don't know if that that did it, but then the line started tightening. And then when I actually got around to this fight, I'm actually thinking about changing my pick to Chaos Williams. I'm not going to play Randy Brown, but I was thinking about changing my pick to Chaos Williams. I'm going to stick with the Randy Brown pick, but I will say, after watching the tape, I got scared away. You know, Randy Brown, he'll listen to his corner and get a takedown. He's got an excellent ground game and could not just better than Chaos Williams, but could submit Chaos Williams on the ground. Um, but Chaos Williams attacks with more volume than I remembered, and he attacks the legs consistently and a lot, and a lot more than I remembered. And that's going to be big against a guy like Randy Brown, who is really good with his left hand, is going to put weight on that lead leg. And uh, also, you know, can make some suspect decisions, you know, can, can really, you know, I know he does come from a boxing background, but he'll kind of go low-handed, play his shell, kind of get dangerous. And again, man, I just, I, I, I'm not that far away from mood from, from playing Baeza, who got iced by the same guy, another tall guy in the same division, right? Um, and, and, you know, Brown can be hurt, so um, shit, man. I feel like I actually changed my pick to Chaos Williams, to be honest, right now, and if he was training over at, uh, you know, I'm you know, so far I've faded everybody from ONX, but I saw him post a picture with Gaethje. I don't know if that's an old one or not, but if he's training with them, that could be a good sign too. Um, I'm gonna take Randy Rude by Brown still for a pick by decision, but oh my god, I am not playing this at all, and uh, I'm glad uh, I always reserved that right and told y'all, you know, pump the brakes, don't pick or play it on my behalf i gotta see where i end up well that's where i ended up brown but no damn play that's for sure norma dumont minus 225 macy chasson plus 185 i was gonna look into this one for a parlay piece but i'm like i don't want to parlay there's enough straight shots and dog shots on this card you can take and that i took um but yeah, I'll, I'll go dumont here um don't think going up in the weight and not cutting the weight will affect chasson i'm just not sold on her game and dumont has at least some sturdy fundamentals and can scare girls off with counters. And as a Brazilian, they both are Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belts. Um, while one has Krav Maga and the other has Sanda to accompany it. So, yeah, I'll take Dumont by decision. Andre Fialho got a quick turnaround like he asked. Minus 410 against Cameron Van Camp. Plus 310. I don't know him very well. My guy Dan Levy on the cancel the dance. Uh, council, I guess for lack of a better word. Um, said so that he's familiar with this cat because he, he fights in his neck of the woods, but uh, he's saying, you know, Fialo should be able to finish him probably, and, uh, you know, that will be another parlay piece, right? You know, but uh, again, I don't know. I think it'd be like Parlay, Fialo, Dumont, and uh, Clayton Rodriguez, which we'll get to. Like, that's plus 129 or something. Like, uh, that would be a three leg, but uh, I didn't do it and I won't do it, so for what that's worth. Um,. Brandon Royval, minus 240. Matt Schnell, plus 195. Oh, Jesus. Shout-outs to Matt Schnell, who looks like my guy John John Rico. Shouts to him, his doppelganger. Um, 
you know, I like Chanel's style. Maybe not so much of the things he says. Speaking of the bootlicks. But, uh, yeah, man, I've got Brandon Roy Val here. I do like what he said about his shoulder surgery, about it not happening, because that was one of the fears I expressed on the show. Um, that being said, I still feel like it's kind of sketchy to lay the shock, the chalk, you know. He is a black belt compared to Chanel's purple belt, but we've seen Chanel hit those opportunistic submissions. And Royval gets wild, man. Even if he doesn't destroy his own body getting wild this time around, he could still run himself into stuff. He, it's not like he can't be subbed um, and whatnot and you know run himself into a wall. So maybe the crowd works against him in that aspect. But I do think he's going to go for it. No plays, no angles. Took Roy Val, uh, Picked Roy Val inside the distance, not playing this one. Let me take a sip before I go to this one. All right. This next fight is a... Uh, I do got action on this next fight because it's Black Boy. I like Boy Ivanov. Uh, Mr. Ivanov, uh, what would you like? I like Boy. Mr. Mr. Ivanov, we don't serve that here. Okay, I take hamburger then. That's Black Boy. But boy, Blagoy, I don't know why I have to make him a pedophile. The poor guy got stabbed in the heart, man. He got stabbed. He got stabbed like 50 times, right, DC? Uh, yeah, he got stabbed a lot. <laughs> I don't need to pile on to that poor fucking guy, you know what I'm saying? But I will pile on opposite Flo Rida, a.k.a. Marcos Rogerio de Lima, plus 125. Welcome to my house. We don't even know. Knockout or submission. Yeah, this guy's fucking terrible. Yes, he could get better. Yes, it's heavyweight where they last longer. Yes, he can be. He can knock someone out. But literally, outside of someone called Martin Weezerick who washed out, uh, never got a win in the UFC, I believe. Uh, if he did, it was super low level. And, you know, Maurice Green, outside of wrestling low, lowest of the low-level heavyweights, this guy literally doesn't have a win outside the first round because if he doesn't knock you out, even, like, within the first three minutes, this guy's already looking for a way out. Like, he's looking for the, the guy on the airplane tarmac with the light signaling submission losses this way, buddy. If you want out, it's right here. Come on. You got this, Dilema. You can quit. Um, and it's like, I, I always sprinkle if on submission opposite of him. If someone's got a decent submission game, Blagoy, you know, he's definitely, uh, too much hamburger for output. Uh, but you know, he's not a big finisher, but the dude is a Samba world champion. He does have submission wins to his name. And one of those submission wins is the kind uh, people quit with, uh, RNCs or guillotines, which is a specialty for like Dilema. He will literally throw himself in the guillotine and tap when it's not even fully on. I mean, you go look at the the, the, the Krylov fight, I think it is, or just many of his other fights. I mean, the dude's awful. He gets, he gets stopped by forearm chokes. I mean, holy shit. And this is like in the UFC, you know? Like, holy shit. And I know I'm a little sour from losing the Big Ben bet, which makes more sense because Big Ben even recently admitted himself that he's only fighting for a paycheck. And that was like the one way it was going to be a wobbly loss where he's not fully out, but enough for the ref to, to pull the trigger. That's exactly like that is the only way this guy wins this fight, too. And it's going to be even harder um, because Blagoy is actually harder to hit than uh, um, Ben Rothwell. He's actually kind of hard to hit for a heavyweight or not hard, but like he counters really well and will move his head and step off to the side. 
again, that Derek Lewis fight, I'm not crying over spilt milk, but like I don't feel bad playing him there because that fight was closer than it was called and that many people remember or think was. Like a lot of the big shots aren't landing and like again, Blagoy, counterfighter, Southpaw, old dude, I know. Such a Dan Tom bet here. Dan Tom betting heavyweights and females, what what could go wrong? But uh but yeah, like he he's hitting those shots and he's countering. And even though he only has three of his six wins via guillotine, he actually uses that front headlock really well to threaten guys to get better positions. So, like, I think that's just going to be there. Um, I think he can get a decision. He's probably going to win by decision. But that submission is always live, you know? And the fact that he's not a world-beating puncher or a world-beating output guy, you know, maybe this is the first, like, decision loss to the Lima. But I, I can't see the Lima going without quitting, man. So... I fucking laid it, especially at a discounted price. He opened at, what, minus 170 or minus 180, so it's over a 20-plus discount at minus 145 or minus 150. I got him at both. Of course, I'm going to list the higher number, as I usually do, more realistic for you guys. Um, and, yeah, I went 1.5. I would have went 2.0, but with the way my plays are, it didn't really make sense for the math, and I wanted to leave myself a little bit of something extra to sprinkle, um, to sprinkle on the side for some round flyers. Uh, which I did, and I still have some left over, so I didn't have to spend the whole two and had more options that way. In other words, put 1.5 units on the money line for Blagoy just to cover it, and then I sprinkled by sub at plus 500 at a quarter unit. Um, in one house, I sprinkled round two at 0.17 units, and I used the free play on round three at 0.11 units. Um, and that, that's at round two plus 750 and round three, sorry, let me pull it up here. And round three is uh, going eleven hundred. I think I got it for twelve actually. Um, and then uh, in the other house that actually does the round method, I did a round three sub for like point ten unit in that house for plus eighteen. Uh, if that makes sense. So the sub a quarter unit and then pretty much like point tens in, in each other house. So essentially only like an additional point three five units. Um as far as the prop play for Blagoy's there. Alright, uh I'll get to this next one fast, I guess. Uh we got uh Masa Randuba Trinaldo, Danny Roberts. Um you know, I hate to pause, but I gotta pause real quick, sorry. All right, I'm back. Sorry about that. Here's a little boy's room. Too much coffee. Um, yeah, we got Masa Randuba, who is a Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup here. Masa Randuba is 7-3 and three against USC-level lefties with his losses. I tweeted this out, of course, being to uh, early in his career, Alcantara, and then, of course, grappling-based losses uh, to uh, Kiesa and um, T-Bow, baby, of course. You know, again... Speaking of uh, undefeated fighters, uh, you know, Glayson Tebow has something to say about uh, Habib's undefeated record. Wink, wink. But, um, but yeah, um, whereas Roberts is one and one. Um, both grapplers, Nathan Coy, he lost to Claudio Silva, beat Nathan Coy, although he was getting wrestled by Nathan Coy until throwing up a triangle. Um... So, yeah, uh, but I, I think Masa Randuba is the better grappler. Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, or brown belt, black belt. Should be a black belt by now. Uh, 
better wrestler, but Danny Roberts is a hell of a scrambler. Um, but like the output was what surprised me looking at Roberts' output because you know Trinaldo's not the highest output, but his counters are going to be live. I think he can get enough output and damaging shots to win a decision. And then with the way Roberts has been rocked and stuff, like I wouldn't be surprised for another surprise uh, knockout for Francisco Trinaldo. You know, the power is the last thing to go. It's not, you know, he used to fight a lightweight, but he's not a small guy. And Roberts, you know, not the most sturdiest, right? He's a, he's a dog. He'll fight for it. Danny Roberts cast for me last time out against uh, Ramazan Amiv. Picked and played that. So I, I love Danny Roberts, but I think this is Trinaldo. I was hoping to get dog money, and, and I will play him. I'll probably throw a unit, actually, just money line, because, again, I don't know if he's going to finish him or decision. But um, I wanted uh, people to fade the old man. And it doesn't look like it's happening, but if it does go dog money, I'll lay it. Picks Trinaldo. Um, we'll go by knockout, but he could win a decision. For Robert's sake, I hope it's a decision because I don't want to see him get knocked out. But, you know, it's the game. Tracy Cortez minus 145. Melissa Gatto plus 125 for Gatto. Um, taking Gatto here. Surprise because I like Cortez, you know. Um, easy. Easy. No, I'm not going to win. Uh, no, attractive lady, man. Attractive girl. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I like her as far as her style goes. Uh, she, she wrestles, uh, she rides, she's got, she's pretty well-rounded, she's got a good sense of things, seems to be a, a fairly fast learner, so something to keep in mind here. She can make some big jumps and improvements, but, you know, Melissa Gatto's in that range too, right? Um, and she's exactly, not exactly non-athletic either. In fact, you know, she's another big, uh, she's another big, big, big flyweight for this division. And Cortez kind of has trouble making this weight, which is something to look out for. And her style requires a lot of energy, which is something to look out for, right? Um, we've seen her kind of slow, slow down in, in fights, and decisions have gotten close. You know, um, she arguably, you know, it was a close fight. It could have gone either way. Some people I respect had it scored 30-27 for her, right? But like, I, I actually just barely edged Justine Keish in the second round and then more of an argument in the third um, as far as the damaging shots compared to what Cortez was actually getting done with her grappling. And you know me, I'm more of a um, grappling bias guy, right? Um, give more credit to back takes and stuff than most um, without having to cite the body triangle, like just for what it is, right? Um, but that being said, I actually went with Keish for what it's worth, but I could... I totally wasn't like a score I was married to, but I, I saw why it was a split because I'm like, yeah, I kind of leaned toward her in the last two rounds, to be honest. I think she had the more damaging strikes. Um, and if a former off-balance, uh, you know, straw weight who looks like uh, Reagan when she was possessed by the exorcist, Merrick, uh, in, in uh, Justine Quiche. <laughs> Poor Justine Quiche. Um, but, um, you know... Uh, What's Scotto gonna do? Seems like she's got some real sting on her shots, and you know she's got a stinging right hand, um, which right hands, especially counter right hands off kicks, like Cortez seems to kind of have a magnet for. And you know this girl's really long, maybe one of the longer fighters she fought. They're listed at like the same height, but it looks like they're at least an inch apart, right? Um, and uh, Gato as well as the, the, the longer girl. She also has a lot of anti-wrestling techniques, even when she's not facing wrestlers. Like, she throws knees, snapping front kicks that hurt their opponent, as we saw with Sarge Eubanks. 
And she throws a lot of uppercuts too. So like that's a lot of anti, uh, just a little more body work. And she's essentially got a, a complete anti-wrestling arsenal uh, as far as strike selection goes, right? Um, she's got good takedown defense thus far. But she seems to be kind of sloppy for the takedowns, and I could see her overextending herself and getting reversed and taken down from going for a takedown. Um, that's something to watch out for. But again, regardless of how Cortez gets her takedowns, I feel like that's just going to raise the cooking temperature of this fight. Um, you, you know, because that's another thing. Like, it's rare for girls to gas, but it looks like girls like really feel the pace of Gato's fight because she's always going for the finish. And she almost reminds me of like the young Dubronx in there, just chaining submissions together and getting really aggressive with it um, to where like she could be a fighter that could win rounds, uh, win a round off her back or sway around, right? She does some damage, hurts Cortez, and then Cortez has to take her down. But then Cortez is playing more def- is playing like 90% defense while... While Gato is striking and throwing up submissions as she does, like I could see her winning rounds that way. And then there's always just the upset submission. You know, she does things like I love, like the corner lock. Um, I don't know if everyone calls it that. Bisping certainly doesn't, but Bisping did a good job of really identifying that technique and what it does and how it gives you the pre- the precarious nature of the triangle armbar threat. And uh, she she just looks like more than your average purple belt. And according to her jiu-jitsu accolades and, and awards she's like she is she's like she's just competed as a purple belt maybe she just hasn't ranked up since she started mma you know and then you know and then focused even more on her striking uh, as it looks like she did uh during the beginning of the pandemic and because she had that two-year break from 2019 to 2021 so all she's been doing is improving she's probably like realistically a high level brown belt at this point just like a lot of mma fighters they get stuck at blue and purple because they never really get back in the gi um, for training purposes and focus purposes. So, yeah, I like Gato. I know money's already come down, and I'm, I'm not beating the line or getting the line moving on it. But I got plus money. That's all that matters to me. Plus 120, one unit. Um, next fight, um, Clayton Rodriguez, minus 350. CJ, the God of la verga. No, it's not the same thing, Dad. Sorry. <laughs> my dyslexia wants to say the, the a bad word when I see that last name. But plus 270. Um, I like Clayton Rodriguez, but I'm going to be careful. He's got like cop away to accolades. Not a lot of accolades. Not that that always matters, but I know he's a super prospect. I mean, I was high on him myself. I gave him an A. And more of an important A than the one CJ Vergara got because CJ Vergara got the basic A because he gets the Dana White A. For getting the first round finish, hard to deny, but we don't really know anything where... I gave Rodriguez an A because we actually got to see a lot of his things like kick feints, corralling, jabs to the body. Like He does a lot of smart shit like that. So I'm definitely high on him too. He definitely will be a parlay piece material, but I don't want to parlay. And you know what? Even as good as he looks, it's probably better just to wait and see in these kind of spots. I mean, you can shit on me for playing heavyweights and female fights, but there's at least UFC sample sizes in those fights, you know? Um, whereas that is really limited in... Um, Yet another contender series special. Yay, cheap labor. I'll take Clayton Rodriguez in another decision, and hopefully we just, yeah, we get to see more of him subsequently. So, um, Ariane Carlo- Carnelosi, plus 155. Lupita Godinez, minus 180. Loopy, loopy, little loopy. Um, it's funny, I was reading her bio, <laughs> and I'm like, is this girl serious? Is this shit, like, straight, like... Fucking someone needs to call the horny police, like, because, uh, 
you know, like, because fans are already fucking too horny as it is. They, they should not be reading this girl's bio. Little Loopy was, um, let's see, it was in her bio. Like, this sounds like, like, is it, is his, uh, favorite grappling technique? Anything with me on top? <laughs> All right. Easy. Um, what was your job before we started fighting? I worked for a cleaning company. This sounds like a porno setup here. Um, this, <laughs> but no, this just kind of shows her attitude and why you know she's so awesome and special. When and why did you start training for fighting? I started training six years ago. I saw it on TV and decided I wanted to do it, so I started training. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy. She looks really good shadow boxing, so I'm curious if we're gonna see some big improvements. But she's looked good shadow boxing and on the mitts and stuff before, and we'll kind of um. Kind of crowd her work. Um, she doesn't throw a lot. And when she does land, she, she'll, she'll crash into the clinch like it's hardwired. And she'll kind of wrestle herself into a hole. Which we saw cost her in the Luana Carolina fight. And arguably in the Jessica Penny fight. Though I still felt like she should have won that. Um, you know, so I feel for her there. But uh, but still, the regardless of how you feel about the outcomes. Right or wrong. Um, she essentially wrestled herself into a hole. And she's so focused on control that she doesn't even do a lot of damage when she's down there and doesn't do a lot of scoring. Um, I mean, she's got that, you know, again, she's got good wrestling and a good engine and fearlessness. And that alone will get you success in the sport. Look at Diego Sanchez, much less that Diego Sanchez-like approach in the female divisions, right? Not shitting on female. I'm just speaking facts for what they are. And, uh, you know, that will, get, that will get you pretty dang far, at least win you some decent amount of fights, even at the higher levels for the divisions they compete in. That being said, I don't like it when she's not scoring and elbowing when her, uh, when her, um, you know, uh, corner is telling her to. Um, you know, again, granted, she only started training six years ago, and granted, she's only technically a purple belt, which I think she got that not too long ago in jiu-jitsu, maybe. But Ariane Carlosi is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a black belt who's competed. Um... And again, I know it's weird to have black belt in kickboxing or striking, but she claims to have black belts in both kickboxing and Muay Thai, and as well as competed in accolades in, bo in both of those martial arts as well separately. Um, and she's training at Nova and Yao, as well as uh, her other, uh, which was her home gym, so now she's splitting it up with some more high-level training and more high-level girls. Um, speaking of high-level girls, by the way, Gato looked like she was training with uh, Verena Hanji Joba, which is like again a, a really powerful grappler, one of the most powerful grapplers uh, in those lower divisions, and that's who you want to train with. So that, that's a good sign for her. But yeah, um, Carnalosi, she's active too, and even though she's short and stubby, um, you know, or she may look like she's taking breaths because she's like throwing like hell into every shot. She doesn't. I haven't seen her really gas or tire at all, or really slow at all. She's got a good output. She's always throwing. Sure, there could be a lot to be desired in her defense. Um, I think uh, Godinez is going to be hitting her with right hands anytime she wants to throw one, for example. But again, I don't think they'll be as impactful, nor do I think she'll be throwing as many. And I feel fairly confident in both those things. And for that reason, I'll take Carnalosi. She might give up some takedowns or whatever, but she's active. Again, even though she's muscular, short, and stubby, not only does her gas not match that kind of a build, but even her attacks, like... I've seen her lock up and do like triangle armbar chains and stuff for a girl with short stubby legs. Well, 
that's pretty dang good. I guess that maybe is a legit Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, perhaps. Um, so yeah, I'll take that over the purple belt, um, who relies on strength and getting in close and making fights ugly against a girl who seems to be stronger and has more experience and a better uh, technique and better results in making fight ugly and close against higher level opposition. Um, yet that's one of the bigger numbers. I got it at plus 160, plus uh, 155 at another house. But yeah, I, I, I feel pretty good about throwing this unit, even if it misses. I mean, just there's more than enough on paper where, I don't know. I mean, this feels like it should be a, a pick em, if not Carnalosi, a slight favorite. So to get her at this, what did she open as? Yeah, at plus 130. It was closer, even though I still disagree with who is favored in that equation. Um, out of principle, out of my stylistic reads, you know? Um, yeah, I'm going to, again... Just like just like Gato over, uh, you know, taking taking Brazil over, uh, taking uh, Brazil striking and jujitsu over uh, Mexican wrestling and cardio and heart. You know, uh, not to make it a racial thing or whatever. But I'm just saying like it's that same dynamic in both the female fights that I'm playing against. And I usually don't play against the grapplers, but again, WMMA and this low level and you know we're lower level still have some to prove, but we've seen enough to go off of. Um, Judging criteria and trends, damage. I'm going to go with the damaging fighter because that's who should be winning, right? Heck, some of them are near undefeated. I know Car Carnalosi, she's been subbed once, but that was in the beginning of her career to Amanda Hibosh. And then, you know, the cut stoppage to Angela Hill, and she was actually doing pretty decent in that fight, especially when you, you know, cut through the typical uh, Angela Hill biased commentary that you have to deal with. So, yeah, one unit on Carnalosi. Next fight for any Garcia minus one forty five Journey Newsom plus one twenty five. Um, gonna take Newsom. Hope he throws leg kicks because I think Fernie has uh has shown susceptibility to that. And he, even though he got the TKO, his first TKO went on Contender Series. He seems to really throw himself into punches. When I went back to watch some of his earlier stuff on LFA, um, so I don't know if he's gonna have the technique or power to uh, resurface some of the durability trou uh, troubles that have traditionally troubled Newsom. So I'll take Newsom. He's an underdog, but I didn't play it. Not too confident. Didn't study too much into this fight. So, um, yeah. All right. I know. Hopefully, we at least kept it under two hours here. All right. 153. All right. Well, all right, I'm going to recap my picks and plays here. Um, yeah. All right. Taking Slim Charles over Gaethje. Taking Esparza over Nama Yunus. Chad Hose. Taking Chandler. Over Ferguson. Um, Hearts with Tony. Taking. OFPP over Hua. Taking. Cerrone over Lo Lausanne. Jay Lau. Taking. Randy Rude Boy Brown over Chaos Williams. Keep on sleeping on me and the doctor's going to wake you up. Taking. Norma Dumont over Macy Chasson. Taking. Andre Fialho. Cameron Von Camp taking Brandon Royville over Matt Schnell taking Blagoy. I like boing. Even off over. Welcome to my house. Rogerio de Lima likes submissions. Taking Melissa Gatto over Tracy Cortez. Taking Clayton Rodriguez over CJ La Verga Vegara. Taking Ariane Carnalosi over Little Lupe. Lupita Gudinez. Taking. 
Journey Newsome over at Fernie Garcia. Um, played Blagoy. I like Blagoy. Minus 150, 1.5 units. Played Gatto. Plus 121 unit. Played Carnalosi. Plus 161 unit. Um, if Carla gets over plus 180 or plus 185, maybe I'll throw half a unit. Or I'll throw a half a unit on decision, possibly. I'll tweet it if I do. Slim Charles inside the distance is not priced where I want, nor probably will it be. If I do end up laying that, um, I will tweet it out. Um, even off by sub, I did sprinkle a quarter unit on that plus 500, as well as some little flyers with free plays, as well as uh, not free plays, but they were so small it didn't matter. Round 2, Blagoy plus 750.7U. Round 3, plus 1200.11U. And then the one house with the method and sub, I did to take a little flyer. Round three sub plus 1800.10U. There, just to see. Um, hopefully some of those cash, that would be really nice. Uh, otherwise, uh, good luck on your picks and plays, folks. Um, enjoy the weekend. Thanks for the love. Sorry for another long episode. And always protect and